With your Bibles open, please turn to Mark chapter 5. And it is always a blessing to be able to come down and to worship with you in these southern parts of Rhode Island. Our text this morning is Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Let us again hear the word. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she might be made well and live. And he went with him. And a crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease." And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd is pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithia kumai, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Please be seated. When the baby dies, when you are betrayed by someone that you trust the most, when the stock market crashes and you are left wondering if you have a job, when being a Christian is politically incorrect in the world that we live in, when your child walks away from the faith, when you hear the dreaded words, it's cancer, when life seems to bottom out and you hit rock bottom, when faith and fear collide, where do you turn? Where is your hope? We've heard even up until this part of our service that our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ. 
And we will see that once again here in this text, in a sermon titled, When Faith and Fear Collide. It is important to note, even as believers, we will grapple and we will struggle at times with faith and fear. And we see this clearly in two characters in this text. A man named Jarius and an unnamed woman with a disease. And I want you to notice here that what we see concerning the Lord Jesus Christ is one of hope, one of compassion, one of power. And the first thing I would like to call your attention to here in this text is verses 21 through 24, and it's a faithful request. Up until this point, Jesus has crossed back, it says, in the boat to the other side, presumably back to Capernaum, where he has spent most of his Galilean ministry. A great crowd has assembled again. It's been quite a day from before. There's a great storm at sea. They meet this crazy man among the, the tombs. And his disciples have gone on a wild ride up until this point. They come back again to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd recognizes him. They gather around him once again. It's important to note that at this point, Jesus is like a local celebrity in the area. If it was in modern day, people would be lining up for selfies and autographs just to get a glimpse and some time with Jesus. And we notice here Jesus is approached by a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. He's an elder in the synagogue. He's a faithful Jew. Again, if this is Capernaum, which most likely it was, Jairus would have been privy to the, um, the healing of the, disease, of the demon-possessed man in chapter 1 where Jesus enters into the synagogue. So Jesus' reputation precedes him here. And Jairus comes up to him. He approaches Jesus. And what we see from him is a faithful request. He says, My daughter is dying. Basically, she is as good as dead. Would you come lay your hands on her that she might live? This is such a contrast that Mark gives us here from the previous account. Jesus comes down and does good to a man, sends the demons into a herd of pigs, and the people say, go away from us. You are ruining our economy. But now we see in this part, Jairus says, come with me. Come with me, Jesus. The people tell him to go. Jairus says, come. We can recognize of Jairus here, he is a man full of faith. The fact that Luke and Mark both record for us his name is an indication that he probably was somebody well-known to the early church. And from this account here in verses 21 through 24, we can see that he trusted the testimony of Christ. He trusted the power of Christ. He trusted in the willingness of Christ. He was a man of faith. But he's also a desperate man. Jairus is a desperate man. His little girl, according to Luke, his only child, is as good as dead. And so what we see here in verses 21 through 24 is the first instance of when faith and fear collide. It's interesting, and we can all relate to this, that desperate situations tend to bring out what is under the surface in us. Where do you turn in desperation? I think we all could take one from Jarius here is that when faith and fear collide, we are to turn to Jesus. You see, fear reveals our faith, and faith reveals our fear. And notice here, again, look in your text, verse 24, notice the willingness of Christ here. It's almost as though Mark just kind of tags this on at the end. Verse 24, and he went 
with him. No hesitation on the part of Jesus. What we see here is just a glimpse of the nature of Christ. We see the heart of Jesus here. He does not refuse those who seek him in faith. He is a willing Savior. It is no burden for him to do good to people. No, in fact, Jesus delights in doing good to people. And so this is the faithful request of Jairus. But what Mark does, and he does it throughout his gospel on multiple occasions, is what we call the Mark sandwich. He begins with something and he inserts a story in between. He will get back to Jairus, but uh, I think for Mark's purposes, we should faithfully just walk through this text. Because now we we almost have a scene change going on. Jesus is going along his way with Jairus. There's a great crowd that are very much, they're interested in the faith healer. We don't know, you know, if they're necessarily believers, but they are intrigued by Jesus the miracle worker. And we are introduced here at the end of verse 24 into verse 25, a second character. And it is one who causes no little disturbance in what is going on. Notice here in verses 25 through 29, there is a woman who has suffered with a discharge of blood. So Jesus and Jairus are going along their way to his house. There's a great crowd that's accompanying. The disciples are there. This is a a big event taking place. And there's a woman with a discharge of blood who's had it for 12 years. There are three points of significance that I would call your attention to of this woman. First, she's a woman. This is important to note here. In first century times, the culture... Women were treated as second class. The Pharisees had, had a prayer that went something like this. Thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Woman, women did not get the same treatment concerning value and dignity as men did. So she has this going against her. Second, she has this discharge of blood. What this means, basically, is that her menstruating phase would not end. For 12 consecutive years, she lived with this debilitating condition. If we were to try to give her an age, she's anywhere between 24 and maybe her early 50s, likely somewhere in the middle. This is a physically draining disease that she has. It's physically, emotionally, spiritually, even financially draining, as Mark records for us. What this means is she could not have children which was the most esteemed thing a Jewish woman could do, was to carry on the seed of the woman from the promise. She couldn't fulfill her God-given privilege. Although she's a woman, she was robbed of womanhood. Third thing I want to note of this woman, she's a woman, there's a discharge of blood which makes her ritually unclean. This this means that she was banned from public worship, that no one was to be in contact with her. Leviticus 15, we wouldn't have time to go there, but deals specifically with her condition. I would call your attention to that chapter. But one verse here in Leviticus 15, 7, we would read, And whoever touches the body of one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. It is interesting that in Leviticus 15 they even talk about clothing, which plays a significant part in what we are about to see happen. But what we can take away of this woman here is that she is a broken woman. She is desperate as well. And she too exercises faith. 
Look again at your text, verse 27. We would read that she heard the reports about Jesus. She heard the word of Christ. She accepted this word as true, and she trusted in Jesus. And we know this to be true because she acted upon what she believed. What she believed to be true. What she trusted in. Again, the end of verse 27. She came up behind him in the crowd. That's a big deal. She braved the crowd. She's not to come in contact with anybody. She braves the crowd. She comes up behind Jesus and gets to the hem of his garment and lays hold of Christ. She came up and touched his garment. So when faith and fear collide in her, she enters the crowd. Certainly there has been fear of rejection in her life, fear of disappointment. We should not read these biblical characters like robots. They're like us. They're emotional beings. They're not stagnant. Her entire life has been one of rejection, failure, broken promises. No doubt she's battling, she's battling faith and fear even in this moment. But fear will not win this time. So she braves the crowd, no doubt cloaked so as not to be recognized by anyone as the unclean woman that everybody knows who she is. And in faith, she reaches out and she touches Jesus. I can only imagine what was even going through her mind. On this day, the commotion, Jesus is back in Capernaum. She's thinking, if I can just get to him. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to cause a stir. But this I know. He has the power to heal. All those people that night at Peter's house, he healed them. I won't touch him so as to make him unclean, but if I can just grasp the garment, that will do. And so she reaches out a faithful reach. And what's the result? What's the result? You see in verse 29, Mark's favorite word, immediately. And immediately, the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This is a fulfilling reward. She was made well. The flow of blood was gone. The constant cramps relieved. Her heart was healed. Men, you can only speculate how she was feeling. Ladies, you understand a bit. She felt whole again in her mind, in her body, and in her soul. You see, in her desperation, she too was driven to Jesus. And when faith and fear collide, faith triumphs. But we would notice here in verses 30 through 33, a shift even occurs in her. She starts out strong and faithful and desirous of reaching Jesus, but that faith turns to fear. Verses 30 through 33, we see this encounter that Jesus has with her. And this is true as the case of all of us. All of us who are believers, when faith and fear collide, there are times that fear seems to rule. And fear seems to overtake us. We succumb to the pressure. And that's the same thing we see in her. She gives a fearful reply. You see, up until this point with her, her faith has been a private matter. 
But Jesus is going to take this and make it a public one. You see, private faith benefits the person. Public faith benefits the people. Verse 31, Jesus, well, Jesus asks the question, who touched my garment? And the disciples just doing what the disciples always do, kind of like knuckleheads, and Jesus doesn't even respond to them. But he asks the question not because he doesn't know, but because he's setting her up for this public display. Verse 32, we see that Jesus looked around to see who had done it, and no doubt in that looking around, the Savior locks eyes with this woman. She knows she's done it. He knows she has done it. And that feeling of, I'm caught. I have been exposed. I wasn't trying to draw attention to myself, she's thinking, but now I've been singled out in the crowd, and he knows it was me. That look of the Savior with his eyes to her. Now remember, at the same time, there's a little girl who's dying right now. Jarius is thinking, probably, why are we stopping now? Time is of the essence, Jesus. You are turning around, looking around. Who touched you? You're, there's this huge crowd. My daughter's dying. we got to get a move on here. We don't have time to waste. But what nobody is truly aware of in this moment is that the Lord of time is standing right there. No, this is important. Jesus stops midway because before addressing this 12-year-old daughter of Jairus, he needs to address his daughter who's been suffering for 12 years. And so he does. Verse 33, faith and fear collide once again with this woman. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, being healed, she came in fear and trembling. There it is. And she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Well, this truth is what we had seen that Mark has described previously. But now notice her. Instead of privately being behind Jesus, grabbing his garment, she is publicly prostrate before him. That's the posture we are to have before Christ. She told him the whole truth. Jesus, I've been burned so many times. I've tried everything and everyone to fix this. I am unclean. I am a lawbreaker. I am second class. Men are disgusted by me. My life is a wreck. All my hopes and dreams and ambitions are gone you healed me. I heard of you, how you heal, fix, and make what is unwell, well. No doubt, Jesus, I didn't want to cause a scene, but I truly believed in your power to heal. And as fear and weakness overtake her in this moment, because of her past, she hears the greatest reply she could have ever heard in her life. Verse 34, daughter. He doesn't say woman. He says daughter. This is a term of endearment. In that one word, she is deeply loved by Christ. Your faith has made you well. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to condemn you for coming up here and grabbing me. I'm going to commend you. Neither am I concerned that I was touched by uncleanliness because Christ came to take what is unclean and make it clean. When, the lep- when Jesus touches the leper, Matthew 8, Jesus doesn't get leprosy. The leprosy leaves the leper. When the unclean touch Jesus, Jesus doesn't become unclean. They become clean. 
But there will be a time where he goes outside the camp and dies as the unclean one. Not now. Jesus calms her fear and commends her faith. Here's an important thing to note. When faith and fear collide, Jesus remains gentle. Concerning faith, J.C. Ryle says these words. Hope brings an eager expectation of good things to come. Love brings a warm and willing heart. Faith brings an empty hand, receives everything, and can give nothing in return. No grace is so important to the Christian's own soul. By faith we begin, by faith we live, by faith we stand, by, we walk by faith, not by sight. By faith we overcome, by faith we have peace, by faith we enter into rest. I'm reminded of the hymn, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross of Christ I cling. And so this is the outcome of this kind of inserted story here concerning this woman with a discharge of blood. And I want to remind you of just two things here from this passage before we go back to Jairus and his daughter. There are two errors that come from this passage that are done uh, among many in the broader Christian movement. It's that of relics and faith healing. This idea of relics and a spirit of superstition There have been some throughout church history who have believed in the power of relics. The garment of Jesus here being an example. If I can just touch the fabric, some some power is in it. Some mystical power belongs to the garment. You would see it would get almost fully blown out of proportion in Acts 5.15 where if even the shadow of Peter would touch, that some power would come from that. We must understand here of this passage that the garment of Jesus was a means for demonstrating faith. Fabric is fabric, and it will remain fabric. Shadows are shadows, nothing else. There's no mystical power in Jesus' clothes. We know this. So the superstition concerning relics is just idolatry. Second is faith healing. Jesus said these words here, Your faith has made you well. Taken from this passage, there are those who have come to the conclusion that if somebody has enough faith that they can be healed of any disease. Brothers and sisters, we know that this is a lie. And it does violence to this text and has shipwrecked many fragile lambs and left them just like her, broke, financially strained. Let us ask first here of this text, where did her faith come from? Well, we know from Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that faith is a gift from God. So the faith that she exercises is a faith that she has been given. Second, we must ask the question, was her faith in the healing or the healer? Well, we could say both. But one must proceed from the other. One flows from the other. So that we must see here that that the power of healing is in Jesus, not in her faith which you will actually see in the next passage because they doubt and laugh and Jesus still heals. Many of great faith have not been healed because sometimes God's greatest means of conforming us to the image of his son is to not heal. Paul, a man of great faith, prays three times that the thorn in the flesh would would be removed from him. Would we say that Paul didn't have enough faith? No. No. Paul recognized that he would boast in his weakness so that the power of God would be displayed in him. So 
So brothers and sisters, I needn't remind you, but beware of those that call themselves faith healers. Never trust one who wears glasses either. But this passage is not about relics or faith healing, but it is rather about the goodness of Jesus to the least of these and the power of Jesus over diseases. This is what Mark wants us to see. He is the God-man. The kingdom has come in Jesus Christ. Now let us return to this journey to Jairus' house. Verses 35 through 40, we encounter a fearful result. While all of this is going on, word gets to Jairus and to Jesus that the little girl did not survive. For the people, it was still one thing for her to be healed while there was still a chance. But the fearful result occurred. She has passed. And now in Jairus, we see for him as well, faith and fear once again collide. Think about this. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? We would consider Jairus' thoughts in this moment. This woman had a disease. My daughter is dead. Death is final. A parent's worst possible nightmare has just come true. The thought of having to bury one of your own children. If it were you in that situation, though we know how this story ends, how would you feel? Jarius doesn't see what's about to happen. Would you be upset? Would you be fearful? Would you be angry? When faith and fear collide, what does Jesus say in verse 36? Do not fear, only believe. What do you mean, believe, Jesus? My daughter is dead. So what Jesus does, he reduces the crowd. He arrives at the house. Everyone is mourning quite naturally. The death of children hurt in a very significant way. And again, verse 39, we see the comfort of Jesus. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. This is important to note here. Jesus is saying, she's going to be awakened Whereas death signifies in our experience finality, death is nothing more than just sleeping to Jesus. And here what Jesus is doing in this statement is he is communicating his power to even rob the grave and bring what is dead back to life. Isn't that the story of our own salvation? And we see here the glory of the God-man put on display in verses 41 through 43. Jesus makes this statement. Some laughed, some cried, many doubted. But Jesus was not determined to, Jesus was determined to perform the miracle because he was not de- performing the miracle on the basis of their faith, but of his willingness and his power to do so. I wish the faith healers would just read the final part of this chapter. So what we see here in this scene, they're in this room, there's seven of them, Mark records for us. There's Peter, there's James, there's John, there's Jarius, there's Mrs. Jarius, there's the little girl, and then there's Jesus. 
And what Jesus does in this moment is he displays his unmatched power. He says, little girl, I say to you, arise. Even the dead must obey. We need to pause here for a moment. This is significant. This has never happened in the history of humanity. This event right here. We might think, well, Elijah and and the boy. No, no, Elijah appealed to the Lord to raise the boy. Jesus appeals to her. In that moment, what we see here is very God of very God in the display of his power. There's so many perspectives to think on. Peter, James, and John. Oh, what a couple days it's been for them. A few days ago, Jesus says, let's go out at night. And so they go out at night, and there's this, this storm erupts, and they're... they're <laughs> Faith and fear again in them. And Jesus calms the storm. The sea is like glass. And they go, wow, even the winds and the waves obey him. And they find out that the only point of that whole reason for going out in that storm was to rescue one man. This Gentile running around in the, in the tombs as a crazy man. To turn around and come all the way back up here for this event their minds must have just been blown by what they have seen. They're thinking winds and waves, demons and diseases all respond to Jesus' command. All creation submits to him. But now even the dead must respond. And what is the result? Again, Mark's favorite word. Immediately, she got up. She wasn't on the mend Her health wasn't starting to get better. Her fever didn't just break in cold sweats and immediately she is made well because when Jesus heals, he heals completely. He heals fully. And everyone was left awestruck. So what we need to see here, even in this account, is that when faith and fear collide, Jesus overcomes. This is the blessed result even here. So what are some lessons that we can learn as we look at Jesus here in this passage? The first I would say, as we've even alluded to, is the power of Jesus. Storms, demons, diseases, and death. All the things that strike fear into the heart of people. Let me remind you, Christian, that your Christ is bigger than the storm. He is stronger than the demons. He is the great physician And he is the one who brings the dead to life. When faith and fear collide in our lives, we need to look to him who says, fear not, but only believe. Consider also the compassion of Jesus throughout this entire account. He saves the fearful disciples in the storm in the previous section. Then he saves a Gentile and then a woman and also a child. Jesus cares for those that society marginalizes. Jesus shows compassion for the least of these. We are to go and do likewise. The second part of the greatest command, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And finally, consider the goodness of Jesus, even in here. When faith and fear collide, Jesus does not change. 
He does not cease to do good because you are fearful, because I am fearful. Nor does he give special treatment to those that may seem to exercise greater measures of faith. There's been a lot about Tim Keller in this last week, and I was reading um, an article online, and he says, if you're falling off a cliff, it is better to have weak faith in a strong branch than to have strong faith in a weak branch. And our faith, whether strong or weak, is in the righteous branch, Jesus Christ. He strengthens the weak. He encourages the fearful. And so, Christian, if you are struggling with fears and even doubts this day, let me encourage you to run to Jesus, for he is good. And he strengthens the weak. Come to him as you are, for we are all weak, fearful, and unworthy. He is the giver of faith. He's the one who strengthens the weak. So let us understand this, that Jesus delights in showing his goodness to his brothers and sisters, as he called her daughter. He delighted in her. So let me ask you, as we will bring this message to a close, what do you do when faith and fear collide? Where will you turn? I needn't say it again, but turn to him who robs the grave and has secured redemption through his death on a cross for our sins. And no matter the circumstances, remember these three things. That God is good, God is all-powerful, and he knows what he is doing. When the baby dies, when your spouse is rushed to the hospital, when you are betrayed by those you trust most, when the market crashes and you're left wondering if you have a job, when being a Christian means you are politically incorrect, when your child walks away from the faith, when you hear the dreaded words, it's cancer, when faith and fear collide, remember Jesus remains ready with his loving arms outstretched and he delights to do good to his people. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior, our King, our Priest, our example in all things. Lord, that He welcomes the weak, He encourages the faint-hearted, He loves His own. Strengthen us, Lord. May our confidence ever be growing in our Lord and Savior. We bless you. We praise you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. We will now turn to sing a song of uh,